before we start the episode, I want to do a little trigger warning. There are mentions of sexual assault and date rape in this episode. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hey, this is All Podcasters Die, the podcast for queers, horror fans, and lovers of Vince Vaughn alike. I'm Anastasia Scott, and this is my lovely fiancé, Hannah Wentz. And today we will be discussing the 2020 horror movie Freaky, which was directed by Christopher Landon, and he also worked on the Happy Death Day movies. And since this is such a new movie, we're gonna go ahead and say a spoiler warning. We really do think you should watch this movie to experience it in its fullness without any previous knowledge. So now that that's out of the way. So Hannah, how would you describe Freaky? Well, Freaky is essentially Freaky Friday, but a horror movie. Uh, But Freaky is about a bullied girl named Millie who, due to supernatural forces, switches bodies with the town's murderer, the Blissfield Butcher. Initially, even before this movie had come out, really excited for it. The trailer made it look so, so good, so our expectations were through the roof. And we love those horror movies that are movies that already exist, but made into horror movies. Yeah, I was about to say, comedy concepts that are turned into horror is wonderful. It happens in Happy Death Day, it being similar to Groundhog Day, and then Freaky being similar to Freaky Friday. And then also The Babysitter, which is similar to Home Alone. Yes, but those are some of our favorite movies, and so we really enjoy this one as well. Of course, we have our cast. Our star of the show plays the Blissfield Butcher, Vince Vaughn. Just as a heads up, when we discuss Millie and the Blissfield Butcher after their switch, we will be saying who they actually are, not whose body they are in. So, like, after the switch, when we're talking about Millie, it will be Millie in the Blissfield Butcher's body. And when we talk about the Blissfield Butcher, it'll be the Blissfield Butcher in Millie's body. I know it's kind of confusing, but if, you, if you've seen the movie... You'll understand. You'll understand. <laughs> So we don't know a whole lot about the Blissfield Butcher besides the fact that he is just like an old wives tale, a legend that he's just a guy who lives in this town who kills teenagers during like homecoming dances. He's very much modeled after the silent killers of 80s horror. Michael Myers. And Jason Voorhees. There are very obvious nods to them throughout the movie. Like the Blissfield Butcher. He wears a mask that looks very similar to the ski mask of Jason Voorhees, and a lot of his mannerisms are similar to Michael Myers. Which I think is pretty nifty. I appreciate it, and it was fairly obvious. Like, even if you really haven't seen Halloween or Friday the 13th, you would be able to recognize that. Vince Vaughn is honestly the star of the show. He steals it. For a six, five foot, enormous man, he plays a teenage girl extremely well. He mimics a lot of the way Catherine Newton runs and, uh, and bites his nails like she does and- He is the reason I have watched this movie three times at this point. And our main character? Her name is Millie, who is played by Catherine Newton. She was the first choice to play Millie. She's very good in the movie. I enjoy her she a lot. Also, she plays the opposite role as the Bluesfield Butcher very well. She as does. Well. She becomes very stiff. Like, her face is pretty much dead when need be. She also does a fantastic job doing both roles. And there is just something about seeing uh, Catherine Newton, who is 
not the most intimidating person in the entire <laughs> world, murdering all of these um, teenage, boys, teenage boys and at one point a very mean shop teacher. Uh, she does a very good job, just as well as Vince Vaughn. But Millie, she is the daughter of a woman who recently lost her husband. We don't really know how. It was some sort of accident. And she is a bullied teenager, as I mentioned before, for some unknown reason besides the fact that her mom works at a really cheap clothing store. From what I understand, Millie doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't have the confidence. Mm-hmm. And when people see that you aren't confident, they attack you because they know it hurts. Right. So I think that could be where that was coming from. I mean, besides the fact when you have a parent die, you're probably an easy target. Oh, right. She's also the team's mascot. She is the team's mascot. Like I said, she just doesn't want to be seen. She ducks out of the way for people, and she wears these very frumpy, big clothes Mm -hmm. that hide her frame. So I think it's mostly just because she doesn't have the confidence, and people know that and are able to Point point that out and bully her. And then we have Millie's two friends, Nyla and Joshua. We don't know a whole lot about them. They're, they are good friends, I will tell you that. I think they are both very good. They're hysterical. <laughs> they are the slapstick comedy a lot of <laughs> the time, I feel like. One thing I will give this movie a lot of credit for is the fact that the teenagers actually seem like teenagers. I believe they are played by teenagers, if not like early 20s adults. They, yeah, they definitely don't look like how, uh, in the last episode we talked about all cheerleaders die. Those were at least (laughs) 30-year-olds. But these actually look like teenagers. They act like teenagers. They look like teenagers. And not to sound old, but I think the teenagers in this movie are very fitting and with the times. (laughs) I've definitely met kids like like the teenagers in this movie. I have met... A Joshua, I've met a Nyla, you know? Whoever wrote the script obviously has a few teenagers in their house or has been around them. Joshua, for um, context, is a very obviously gay man. It helps, I think, that the writers for this movie were both gay men. I did not know that. Yes, they are both gay men. Christopher Landon, who was the director, and Michael Kennedy. Apparently, in an interview, that one of the first things they did when sitting down was... They decided, what is a fantasy that you would want to happen? They want a town murderer to come murder No, but like, this is a power fantasy, right. in a sense. For Millie, yes. For, for Millie, because she's no longer the, what, five, six... Insecure girl. She's a giant six, five man who can lift teenagers up, no problem. He does that multiple times in the movie. When he is killing them, he'll just lift them up and like, put them where he wants them. It's really funny. So I think in that sense, if that makes sense. No, I get you. Alright, so we had Millie's friends, and now we have Millie's crush, who is Booker. Booker's a good guy, I guess. He doesn't have a lot of personality, except for being, like, the boy next door. He stands up for Millie on occasion until it starts affecting him, and he just stops. I mean, in his defense, that is, like... The teacher? Yeah. I wouldn't argue with the teacher. Well, I actually, I would argue with the teacher. You have argued with the teacher. I have argued with the teacher. Um, But, (laughs) 
something that we don't see in the movie that I think we should mention now is that Millie slips a little love poem into, into Booker. Booker's locker because it happens, but they don't mention it until it becomes important, which I wish they would have mentioned it. Anyways, so we have Booker, and now we have Mom, who is has not recovered from her husband's death, very it untimely death. Instead, she drinks too much. <laughs> yeah, she drinks too much to the point where she cannot take care of Millie. Like, she forgets her at practice. Not practice, mascot practice, I guess. And is trying very much to maintain her relationship with her daughter, like, holding on for dear life. I notice that Millie takes up the companionship role that her dad once was in. Yes. Because she goes with her mom on quote-unquote dates... And right. misses these big high school moments just so that her mom won't be sad. And then Sh- Millie's sister, Sean. Charlene, is also picking up that responsibility. responsibility as, like, the breadwinner and the protector. And it's very sad that Char, because she's gorgeous, had just had to be a cop. It <laughs> makes sense in the context of the movie that she is a cop. No, it's important that she is. I don't know what other role she could have had besides cop. You're right. All right, so that about covers it for our characters. So are you ready to move on to the movie? Yes. (laughs) I'm very excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, like we said, we really enjoy this one, so... (laughs) I think it's more enjoyable on the, like, second and third watch. Because, again, that first watch, I had those high expectations, and initially it didn't meet it. But when I kind of lowered my expectations and realized what kind of movie it was supposed to be, I was like, okay, I was able to appreciate it for what it actually was trying to do. Right. It starts out, as most horror movies with teenagers do, with them drinking and making bad decisions. These random four teenagers that are not important. Yes. They're just all hanging out at one of their friend's house, whose dad happens to be an artifact dealer. And... They're just talking about the legend of the Blissfield Butcher and how homecoming's coming up. One of the teenagers spills beer on his girlfriend, so she gets angry and they go off to look for the bathroom to go wash herself off. The boy, Isaac, he goes snooping in his friend's father's artifact collection, just snooping through all his things. That is when we are introduced to the Ladola, which is the magic knife that causes all of this hullabaloo. Eventually, Isaac goes off and he finds a bottle of wine, drops it, and he's calling for his girlfriend, whose name is Sandra. I remember the girl's name. Her name is Sandra. The Blissfield Butcher is there, but he doesn't know it yet until a few seconds later when he gets brutally murdered. A wine bottle is getting shoved down his throat, which is such a creative way to die, which has actually been done before in horror movies, which is so weird. Why is that so common? I don't know. Is it like a metaphor for alcoholism? <laughs> I will give this movie that. It has creative depth. I, I was about to say, this death with the wine bottle sets the creativity tone for what kind of interesting deaths we can expect throughout the movie. Because later, Sandra, after Isaac's been killed by the wine bottle, Sandra then gets murdered by... A toilet seat being slammed repeatedly on her head. Which which death would you rather have? <laughs> I don't know. They're both so probably, awful. Probably the toilet. I just can't think about glass in my mouth. Yeah. You would like choke on your own blood before. Oh, that's nasty. 
All right, so we have two teenagers left who are still alive. We have, oh gosh, I forgot. The scene switches, I think, from the slamming on the toilet seat to the other two having sex. And she decides that she's done, tells him to not be having sex with her anymore. And she's like, okay, like, stop, I'm done, I'm done. He's like, well, I'm not done, I just need three more minutes. And then the guy dies by way of... Tennis racket. Tennis racket being torn in half and then jammed on his head on either side. Yeah, on one side of his ear, it's the racket part, and the other side, it's the handle part. Which is grotesque as well. And then so the girl who just, our last girl left, she goes off to run away from Vince Vaughn, obviously. Vince Vaughn, I wrote down, he looks very silly in his mask. <laughs> he looks, he's, because I know that this is a very big, cuddly looking man in like real life, but then he's supposed to be this intimidating man in this movie and he's wearing like black pants a black long sleeve with a black short sleeve over it and he just looks so goofy (laughs) i think the idea of vince vaughn is very scary but he himself is not and i can't see him as scary i can't be scared of him i think he was such a wise choice i'm we're gonna be raving on vince vaughn throughout this entire podcast we love him in this the final girl who's alive, she runs in the closet to yes. hide, and there's a hideaway. And I, this is the only time I'm ever going to say this, but the dumb bitch should have stayed in the closet. <laughs> because he leaves after looking in the closet that she's hidden away in, and doesn't see her, obviously. And then she comes out. She hears her dad come. Oh, wait, no. No. She comes out because she, I think she's going to try to make a run for it. And then she hears that her dad is home. So she's trying to run out to the front door. And this is the part where Vince Vaughn just lifts her up and puts her where he wants her, which is on this spear spike looking thing. They have a very fancy house. They have like unreasonable objects in their house. Well, he is an art. I know, but it's just like convenient for the movie. Yes. And then he just puts her on it and she dies. Then her parents come home, and then they're like, did you see that car in the driveway? And the dad's like, if she had any boys over, I'm gonna, like, kill her. But he doesn't say it, and then it pans to her actually being dead. It kind of gave me a little bit of Scream vibes. It does. Just a little bit with the obvious Drew Barrymore being up in a tree, being hung up, and her parents see her and just scream. So, I did read that there were a few screen references in here. I didn't try to look for what they were, but... but then one is obvious, the other ones, anyways. Yes. Uh, but then the butcher steals the Ladola, yeah. which... Is our magical knife, which is very important. <laughs> and then we jump to Millie, who is our lovely main character, as we mentioned earlier. So Millie wakes up, and she goes to eat breakfast with her mom and her sister because her mom insists that they try to behave like an actual family and eat breakfast together and then we can see that Millie has started applying for colleges much to the horror of her mother like she hides away the applications once she realizes her mom sees it because her mom cannot like cope with the idea of losing another family member Char Millie's sister asks hey um, are you going to homecoming and Millie and her mom have decided that on homecoming that they're going to the 
what's it called? The anus theater? <laughs> it's the honest or something like that, but the joke is that it's the anus theater. Yeah, and Millie doesn't seem too thrilled about it, and Shar's like, let the kid live her life. There's no reason for her to be going to this stupid theater. Instead of homecoming. And this is also the first time we see that Millie's mom has a drinking problem because as Char is leaving, throwing away her leftover breakfast, you can see a bottle of Chardonnay. Like, sharing bottle of wine <laughs> just in the trash can. And we are then introduced to Millie's best friends, Joshua and Nyla. And we get a very interesting first look into Joshua because Joshua's coming to, I think, pick Millie up is what's going on. There is Mr. What's his name? Daniel. Daniels. Mr. Daniels, who is with his black dachshund. And the first thing Joshua says to Mr. Daniels is, Mr. Daniels, I love your black wiener. <laughs> it feels so inap it's, uh, it's so inappropriate. I hate it. But I feel better now that I know it was written by gay men. Before I was like, mm, I don't feel good about that one. I can sit with that a bit better. Because it's not they are making fun of gay people mm. or anything like that. It's just teenagers are dumb and they say dumb things. They do not think before they speak. No, so I mean it's very in character for him to be like that. And Nyla is the goody two-shoes who reprimands him very quickly afterwards. She is a good friend though. She is. And then they start talking about homecoming and Millie's like, I'm not going. And Joshua, again, makes a very uncomfortable comment about how he's excited to go to homecoming because there are drunk straight boys who start realizing they're not as straight as they were. So he's implying that, like, oh, I'm gonna get some with some of these straight boys. <laughs> I don't like that. No, it's definitely, again, not appropriate at all. He gets better throughout the movie. He does. He, he grows. Bad, you just get that first impression of him. Mm -hmm. And then Nyla gives her little heart-to-heart -heart about doing what she wants to as opposed to what her mother wants her to do. The message of the movie comes in very quickly. Yes. <laughs> to live for yourself instead of for others. We realize very early on that the mother has pretty much taken control of Millie's life and just Millie has become complicit and is doing whatever her mother wants her to do because she feels bad that she lost her husband. We see Millie's bullying firsthand Pretty quickly afterwards then, because we meet Ryler mm -hmm. and her clique of friends who decide that it's funny to make fun of her clothes, I guess. Yeah, her mom works at this, again, really cheap store, so they make fun of her for that, which I feel like that doesn't actually happen anymore, but... Kids would will make fun of anything. It's just, you, they don't even look like bad clothes either. I think they were cute clothes. I would wear those. I mean, I think it was the combination. Of so. everything on top also, of each Millie's other. Also, Millie's just a pretty girl, so I like it was harder for me to understand like why she was getting bullied. But again, with what you said about her being not confident. Mm -hmm. And then we meet Booker. Booker, who is, again, Millie's crush. We get a little look at him. Just a little, little peek. He's just a little cutie. And then they're, they are off to the woodwork class. For whatever reason, there's a teacher that absolutely hates Millie, like constantly bullies her. To, like, an extreme degree. It's Alan Ruck, who played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which was very off-putting the first time I saw this. He's a complete dick in this movie. He is awful. He is very much the man who has authority and lords it over women because he can. Yeah. 
Because he just really rips into Millie for no reason whatsoever. And you would think that since her dad had died recently, the teachers would be nicer, like, aware, like, hey, she's going through a tough time, maybe we should give her a little bit more leeway in her schoolwork. But what he does is there's a presentation, and he's like, okay, Millie, it's your turn, go. And she's like, but my presentation isn't until next week. And he's like, well, you have to be ready. You're holding up my class, and there's no excuse for this. I don't want to see any crocodile tears. And just pretty much yells at her for no reason. Her presentation wasn't until the next week. And you hear Booker make a snide comment calling him a dick. So you're like, oh, Booker's a good guy. He's a sweetie. He He's gets, a little sweetie. Yes. He, he even tries to help Millie with her being late by telling her how he combats that by setting his watch five minutes early. Which is important because that comes back later in the movie. It's, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Something, the rifle or whatever. It, it shows you at the beginning, then it has to come back kind of thing. Like a boomerang. <laughs> yes. They should call it the boomerang. The boomerang. It's not called the boomerang. It should be called the boomerang. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Does anyone know what it's called? Um, and then they get a text um, notifying them about the murder of the four teenagers. The entire school is in a tizzy about four of their classmates. Except Joshua, who seems kind of excited about it. He's like, guys, did you hear about the murders? Well, I wouldn't say he's excited. He's less... He's less Shocked. Obviously upset. Yes. Everyone goes through uh, <laughs> grief in different ways. Oh, and then I guess next is the football game. There's a football game where you see that Millie is the mascot. And I wrote this down. Why is the loser character always the mascot? Because in our previous episode, we talked about all cheerleaders die and Hannah was the mascot. And now we have Millie who is the mascot. But I feel like that is the most difficult of all the roles in the little cheerleader squad. No, maybe not. I think that the loser characters are so often the mascots is because it's an easy way to highlight their loserdom. Because cheerleaders are the popular ones, right? Right. And then they are out and about and very showy and beautiful, whereas the mascot has a literal bucket over their head. A beaver head. A beaver head, or a hound dog head, or you know, whatever. So they don't get to be a part of the popular kids. Right. If that makes sense. It's just sad, because they put in so much work. <laughs> they have to be hot and sweaty in that thing, and I don't know, it probably smells. I've never been in one, it probably smells. It probably does, it's probably very sweaty. So there's that football game, you see that Millie is the mascot, and then at the end of it, Millie is waiting to be picked up by her mother, who is passed out drunk on the couch at home. Because she's a hover mother only when she dictates that she needs to be, not when Millie actually needs her mom. But fortunately, Char comes home and she sees that her mom's phone is going off. She contacts Millie, says, hey, mom's passed out on the couch. And Millie says, well, I'm... She says, I think she's at the game still or whatever. And then her phone dies. We see Vince Vaughn just standing underneath the light with his, his shoulders stiff and his arms down. And he, he's supposed to look intimidating, but since you know it's Vince Vaughn, it's just so funny. And, and what saves this from looking kind of so silly is just the scary music behind it. But then Blissfield Butcher starts to chase Millie and she runs into the football field. Where she is 
knocked over and stabbed. With the Ladola. And it's a big moment, obviously, the moon shining. Yes. It's visually we see that it turns into an Aztec temple because the Ladola is Aztec in in nature, I suppose. Then Charlene shows up, up and shoots at him and he runs off. So we just see Millie kind of in shock for the rest of oh, the night. Something you miss is that when Vince Vaughn stabs Millie, you can see he is in pain himself as well in his shoulder. He grabs his shoulder, which is where Millie had gotten stabbed right. to kind of bring in the idea that they are kind of connected already. Char takes Millie to the police station to obviously file a report. And oh my gosh, if something worse had happened to her, do you know how much trouble that school would have gotten in? Like, she was on school property. Why was no one there to be like, hey, do you need a ride home? Or do you want us to call your mom, even though she's passed out drunk, but just someone to offer her something? Well, because the thing is, the news of her getting stabbed is everywhere so quickly. Yeah. So obviously this is a small enough town that people know each other. Mm-hmm. No one has any excuse for not having checked on her. At the very least, her cheer captain needed to stay with her until her mom got there. They could have gotten in so much trouble if she had died. Um, I had written down about Millie's sister could take care of me. (laughs) She is so beautiful. It's so unfortunate that she works for the cops. Vince Vaughn leaves the Ladola on the football field and the police collect it, if I remember correctly. Yes. We see the next morning that Millie wakes up kind of disoriented for some reason, and you don't know why mm-hmm. exactly. She's really stiff. She seems kind of unnatural in her own body, like she hasn't been in it before, for an obvious reason, because it's actually the Blissfield Butcher in Millie's body. Right. He's trying to figure out where he is and who he is because apparently he didn't know what the Ladola did, really. No, he just saw a knife. He's like, ooh, knife, stabby thing. I want it. (laughs) (laughs) He examines himself by touching his boobs. Which is weird. It is a little bit. But you know what? If I were in the opposite situation, I would be like, I have a penis now. Millie does do. She does. (laughs) Then mom enters and is like, and is like, hey, how you doing? Do you want caramelized bananas and pancakes? Because <laughs> that's her favorite breakfast. And Catherine Newton does a really good job yes. in this first scene. She acts very stiff and very unnatural. Very wary. Yes. She does imitate Vince Vaughn at the very beginning of the movie, where he is like the very intimidating, mm-hmm. stiff figure. He goes so far as to almost stab Millie's sister later on as well. I thought it was mom. No, mom comes and grabs oh, the right. knife. Yes, mom comes and grabs the knife. We see when the Blissfield Butcher is eating the breakfast that mom has made, he's like scarfing it down like he has never eaten in his life, <laughs> which was very funny. It kind of gives you the tone that, oh, the Blissfield Butcher is like an animalistic sort of character. He's a unforgiving murderer. He pretty much murders without kind of thought about who it is. Like, you know what I'm talking about? He murders without any rhyme or reason. There you go. That's what I meant. Those are the words I wanted to say. And then we switch to see Millie waking up in the Blissfield Butcher's body in a old deserted mill. And it's disgusting. It's just filled with dead animals and roaches. 
all different gross stuff. And not just dead animals, like dead animals hanging from the ceiling, which again gives off the vibe that this guy is fucking crazy. Vince Vaughn does a very good job of imitating Catherine Newton to the T. He raises his voice when he's talking to strangers. His posture is sort of more relaxed now than it was before. Um, just like the hand movements and the shoulder, the arms especially, just very easy and relaxed. But going back to Millie, she is confronted by a homeless man looking for jelly beans. Jelly beans, aka drugs. And Millie's just so distraught that she would be ever be asked this, but has to ask if she looks like a sixteen-year-old girl or not. <laughs> and he's like. I want to look like a 16-year-old girl. I want to feel like a teenage girl or something. I want to look like a 16-year-old girl. Let me feel like a 16-year-old girl. Where are the drugs that you're taking? And she just runs away with her arms up. His running is just beautiful. And then we go back to Blissfield Butcher at Millie's home. And Mom's mentioning, like, school and friends. And Blissfield Butcher's like, school? Friends? So even though... Millie was attacked the night previously. Mom is totally okay with Millie, quote Millie, going to school. Which, I'm sorry, no. It's like she needs to stay home and like relax and not be on like the internet at all for the day. She had a traumatizing moment. Why would you allow her to go to school? (laughs) And then, so, Lizfield Butcher has to go look for something to get dressed in because... He was in pajamas, and he ends up in Char's closet and takes out this beautiful red leather, probably pleather, I don't know, jacket. And it's really funny because the Blissfield Butcher has a fashion sense. Even though he wears all black, he wears a short sleeve shirt over a long sleeve shirt of the same exact color. So he puts on this fancy red leather jacket, puts his hair up in a pretty ponytail, does his makeup. I want to know, who taught the butcher how to do makeup? It looks good. It doesn't look silly. It looks good. No, he did a really good job. I'm impressed. And I'm sure it's really just for the aesthetic. However, I like to think that the butcher knows how to do makeup. It's just a fun little thought to have. And then he's going to school, and it's a beautiful slow motion scene. I don't know what the song is, but... First, it starts with, Whatever will be, will be. Which is famous for being in Heathers. Right. Which is, most of this movie is just Easter eggs to other horror movies, which I love. And then we turn to this screamo... Really hard music once she actually enters the school. And it's slow-mo and it's beautiful and... All the guys are checking him out, just drooling over him. And then even Millie's friends comment, She's dressing cute today, like, who dressed her today? And the butcher's first victim. Ryler, the bully. She brings aside the butcher and is like, hey, so what happened? I want all the details about how you got stabbed because... Just wants to hear drama. And... They go off to the locker room to discuss it. And there's this kind of, like, still the Blissfield Butcher's figuring out how to exist in Millie's body. And he's acting kind of weird with Ryder, like touching her and kind of looking at her weird, but in like a sort of checking her out sort of way. But that wasn't his intent, obviously. And then Ryder makes the comment, are you gay or something? It's totally fine, but like, are you? (laughs) And then uh, says that she doesn't want a clam jam. I've never heard that. 
I think it's hysterical. I want to hear that more often. And also calls the butcher a vegetarian. <laughs> to her friends. Yes. And we switch back over to Millie, who is just trying to figure out how to exist in a body that's... Humongous. She's bumping into things. She's hitting her head on trees. And... She knocks a woman over. <laughs> like, by accident. Like, she... He, she just runs into her and she just knocks over. She quickly realizes that she is very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Also that she needs to change. change. Or gets somewhere where she can not smell like... Disgusting, like yes. dead animals. And so she goes to this high school because that's apparently the only place she can think to go take a shower. I mean, it it's knows, reasonable. knows how to get in, knows where the locker room is, and... I feel like if she were to go to, like, the Y or something like that, they would recognize, oh, that's the Blissfield Butcher. But, yeah, so she goes to the high school to go take a shower. Ryler sees her taking the shower. Yes. And is like, oh, my goodness, it's the Butcher. And runs away. And the Butcher in Millie's body is like, I'll help you hide. Come on. And throws her in this, this freezer athletic thing. I'm not really sure. It's really fancy. This school is really well funded. I will give it that. <laughs> I And throws her in this freezer and she freezes to death. But I'm not really sure why the freezer goes that low. Because it's four people to go in, assumedly. Just, you know, you just gotta go with it. You gotta go with it. I guess. So then Millie finds her and sees Ryler. And Ryler falls over and breaks into like a hundred pieces. And as such, the... Butcher's first victim. Another very brutal death. Yes. And creative. And then they mentioned that they're postponing homecoming. Yes. Which is coming up. And all the kids are like, no, like, oh, this sucks. And I'm like, how many of you were actually planning on going to homecoming? Like, four teenagers die. One was attacked. Homecoming just seems like the worst place to be at that time. Yeah. I would be surprised that they, if they hadn't canceled homecoming, but they go to their woodwork class, and for whatever reason, the butcher puts Booker's fingers in his mouth because it's so weird and creepy. Like, he just puts Booker's fingers in his mouth and, like, licks them, I guess, and all the boys are like, oh, that's hot. And then the teacher goes, you whore, whatever. You Does he say, like, whore slut? He says, that. Millie... Why do you always have need- to meet the center of attention. He's just like, Millie, like he's tired. It was, it was just a really funny moment. And then we see that Millie is going to find her friends Joshua and Nyla. And of course, Millie is in the body of a 60-year-old man. And so they're terrified of her. They immediately start running. And go into the school's kitchen. Yes. Start just throwing anything they can at her. They have very good- fight like responses like immediately they were just throwing whatever they could at him you know what i'm just gonna say one of the best lines in the entire movie is in this kitchen scene yeah and they're running away from ellie and joshua says i'm gay you're black we're dead and it is so so good it was very self-aware of itself the kitchen scene is honestly one of my favorites. Yes. Joshua and Nyla are throwing anything they can at Millie to stop her. And Millie's obviously not really being affected much by it because Millie is now a 6'5 giant man. Like, it's not affecting her very much. Well, also, Josh, those tater tots, that's not... <laughs> and then they also whack her with 
ladles. This is true. Finally, they have to take a breath. Millie convinces them to stop after throwing them a couple of times <laughs> to listen to her. She does a little cheer. The mascot cheer that the she does. The mascot cheer that she does. And they're like, what's your favorite movie? And she says, I say it's Eternal Sunshine, but it's actually Pitch Perfect too." Alright, so now Millie's friends understand that Millie is in the body of the Blissfield Butcher. Now they're pretty much just like, okay, so that means that the Blissfield Butcher is in your body and that he is at this school. So that is not a very good situation. The butcher goes to kill the wood shop teacher. Yes. I'm just gonna say, I honestly don't feel bad about this one. He, even, I, I understand he's being attacked, but he's being attacked by like a five, six, 17 year old girl. He's putting up quite the fight. He's like throwing punches. He's kicking her on the ground like repeatedly, even though he's clearly the stronger one. But obviously the Blissfield Butcher does get the upper hand stabs him in the neck with a screwdriver, and then... And then he saws the teacher in half with a table saw, which, again, a wonderfully creative death. It was very disgusting. This isn't, like, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's a gory movie, it's just creative. Yes, it's creative. Afterwards, the butcher leaves the shop room having killed the teacher and is met with two police officers who don't even bat an eye Mm. because obviously the butcher looks like a 16-year-old girl. The butcher is now realizing the advantage that he has being in Millie's body. And I... A little tangent here. I think it's very interesting that they show the butcher being able to turn this hystericalness on and off because Millie and Joshua and Nyla show up Mm. and are about to go attack the butcher and the butcher starts screaming that oh it's the Blissfield butcher get him get him and of course everyone starts running to go get Millie and then the butcher just turns it off. And I think it's very interesting because we've been having a lot of cases of white women throwing fits when they don't get their way, specifically with people of color. Yeah. And they'll turn hysterical in an instant when they don't get their way and there is an authority figure around because they know that they can get away with it. Yep. We are (laughs) white ourselves, so, like, We understand our privilege, but I will say I think that was probably what they were going for a little bit there. Yeah. So Nyla, Joshua, and Millie all escape in Joshua's very crappy car. And it's funny because the police officers, um, they don't catch them initially. When giving the descriptor, they say there's a... The, the Blissfield Butcher, a black woman, is that what they say? A black teen. A black black teen and an excited white boy. (laughs) A very excited white boy. (laughs) They drive to Millie's mom's work. To get a disguise. Because obviously the Blitzfield Butcher is quite the intimidating figure with very recognizable features. So Millie has to find something else to wear. And so what happens is Joshua and Nyla shove Millie in a dressing room as they go search for something to disguise her with. And... Millie's mom, who works there, goes up and checks on Millie because she's a customer, wants to make sure everything's doing okay. So she asks, oh, so how's that shirt fitting or whatever? And this entire scene is 
so awkward and interesting because Millie's mom starts unloading on what she's presuming to be a stranger. She's like, oh, um, I bought my husband a pink polo. He had these pretty blue eyes, but he died. And like, it's just unloading on this stranger. I will say having been around people who have lost others, like older people specifically, they will bring up their loved ones randomly with anyone. I, it's, it's true, especially as you get older, they just don't have a filter anymore, which is fine, but they just do. I don't think it's out of character, honestly. So Millie starts feeling bad and is trying to comfort her mom, and her mom's taking it in a sort of different way because her mom can tell that this is a grown man speaking to her, so she's like, ooh, a potential new lover, <laughs> which is very awkward because that's her, that's her daughter. <laughs> Millie's trying to find a way to get out of this yeah. and is also trying not to hurt her mom's feelings. Starts lamenting about how the connection that they have and she would love to go on a date, but she's married. And her mom goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, and then Char very conveniently shows up and is like, hey, you need to go check on Millie because the Blissfield butcher was sighted at the school. So mom leaves the scene. And then the friends come back with an Aaron Rodgers, not an Aaron Rodgers mask. They say it looks like Aaron Rodgers, scary Aaron Rodgers, who is the Green Bay Packers quarterback, maybe? He's on the Green Bay Packers. I don't know a position. I don't know football. I have not. You are. I don't know. Well, I, we just watched the movie, so. I still don't know. So Millie puts on this mask that looks like a scary Aaron Rodgers comments that she doesn't know sports. She hates sports. And then they leave the store and Millie is obviously having a hard time in this full face mask. It's like one of those cheap Halloween masks, say if you want to look like Donald Trump or whatever. It's one of those plasticky weird masks that never quite fits right. They go after the butcher trying to find wherever he could be and he ends up at the arcade I guess or whatever. Some sort of like gaming area. There's a mini golf course there as well. And all the teenagers are hanging out there, trying to figure out what to do for homecoming since it's been postponed. And they still want to celebrate, of course. And Blissfield Butcher is like, ah, how about that old mill that no one goes to because no one will be looking there? And they're all like, wow, who knew you had it in you, Millie? Some varsity boy grabs the Blissfield Butcher's butt. And then Blissfield Butcher leans in and is like, you make this pussy drier than sandpaper. And then kind of tips him on the chin, goes, can't wait to kill ya. Again, I, it comes back to the power fantasy thing. Yeah. You just love to see that kind of moment. Because yeah. that is something that you want to do. Like, you want to yeah. have that owned moment where you just really shock some guy, you know? And then he goes, she totally wants me. <laughs> Blissfield Butcher goes into the golf course, I believe, the mini golf course. It's a little glow-in-the-dark Halloween-themed golf course. And... And looks back at Booker, kind of lures him along. Yes. I will say I love this scene visually because it's all neon lights and blue light. It's so pretty. And obviously the butcher is aiming to kill Booker. Millie, Joshua, and Nyla all show up and go after them into yes. the mini golf course. The butcher goes to kill Booker, and Millie shows up and smacks him across the face with a golf club. 
Booker starts running because he thinks he's about to be murdered yeah. by Millie. And Millie shoves him <laughs> into the wall and then knocks him out too. Millie's just constantly not aware of her own strength in this body and is just knocking everyone out. Millie and friends take Booker and the Blissfield Butcher back to Joshua's house. Right. And tie up the butcher and then lay Booker on the couch because he's still knocked out and put a little ice pack on his head. And I love this scene because Millie's just sitting there watching him very lovingly and talking about how cute he is when he's sleeping, how precious he is. Of course, you have Vince Vaughn staring <laughs> at this presumably 17-year-old boy, just staring at him and looking at him so cutely. It highlights how weird it actually is to yeah. watch somebody sleeping when it is not this a 16-year-old girl anymore. It's a 60-year-old man. Uh, I will say, the chemistry between Vince Vaughn and the guy who plays Booker is actually really good. They're very cute and sweet together. In the most non-weird way possible. Yeah. They just bounce off each other very well, and it never feels, like, weird in the sense. That it, this is a, like, I don't know how old Vince Vaughn is. This is a, a very much older man with a teenage boy, and I appreciate both actors for pulling that off. It's true. It, it could have not worked, but they're so sweet and very just good together. After Booker wakes up and he's like, oh, like, Blissfield Butcher's here. Nyla, Joshua, and Millie are trying to convince Booker that Millie is in the Blissfield Butcher's body. Very funny because Blissfield Butcher also chimes in. is very whiny. He's like, Booker, Booker, don't believe them. They're crazy. Is taking advantage of the fact that he is now in this very innocent teenage girl's body. Millie in Blissfield Butcher's body is going... Booker? Booker, here, listen. Um, do you ever see me wear those clothes? No, I don't wear- wait, wait, do you like those clothes? Should I wear those clothes more often? It just works so well. Catherine Newton and Vince Vaughn just bounce off each other again very wonderfully in this scene because it really shows how well they both are at being each other. And then to prove that Millie is who she says she is, she recites a poem that she had slipped into Booker's locker. That I had mentioned at the very beginning. I want Vince Vaughn to recite poetry to me. It was immaculate. It was beautiful. It is. He <laughs> recites very well. And it's a very, like, soft, solemn moment. It is. It's very cute. Booker believes her. Instantly. And the Blissfield Butcher, of course, switches very quickly back into... Who he actually calls Millie a coward and pathetic, so Nyla shoves a sock in his mouth to shut him up. Booker, Nyla, Joshua, and Millie all go back to figure out a game plan as to get the Ladola back. Yes. Because they need to... They need to switch bodies within 24 hours. Um, they need to get the Ladola back before they run out of time, which, if you do not remember, it is in the police station. And so they're trying to figure out a plan as to get the Ladola back. They decide that Joshua is going to stay back with the butcher at his house. Nyla, Booker, and Millie are going to go to the police station and attempt to go get the knife from the police station. So Joshua is left behind in his home with the Blissfield butcher, which he is not very happy about. And very inconveniently, his mom, who is a flight attendant, comes home earlier than she should have and finds her very gay son 
with a woman who is tied up and it looks like a very bad situation. So she's like, uh, Joshua, what, what's going on? Why is Millie tied up? And the excuse he comes up with is that it is role play. And his mom is like, isn't that like a sex thing? And Joshua's like, yeah, mom, I have something to tell you. I'm straight. And then mom goes, honey, we all know you're gay. Like, and then <laughs> Bluesfield Butcher, when he says that he's straight, looks at him and goes, like, really? Like, you? Looks him up and down and, <laughs> and laughs. After that, Joshua's mom decides to release Blissfield Butcher, who immediately tries to attack both of them. So they start running away, and Blissfield Butcher ends up escaping. To go to the police station, because he heard the plan. Now we're back at the police station with Nyla, who decides to go into the police station while Millie and Booker are left in the car by themselves. Ooh la la! And so Nyla goes into the police station, tells Charlene, who is the only one at the station, that she had been kidnapped by the butcher and he was after her after she had escaped. Yes. So Charlene tells her to go hide behind her desk. She's going to go check it out. Charlene leaves and Nyla goes to get the knife. It goes back to the car. And we see Booker and Millie, like, talking and whatnot. Booker decides to move into the back seat with Millie. I don't remember what they talk about, but they had this little heart-to-heart. Booker goes, would it be weird if we, we kissed right now? And so they decide to kiss. <laughs> Again, it's a very sweet moment. You don't, it's, like, you know, like, in your heart, you're like, oh, this is so, like, weird. But, like, it, within the movie, it doesn't feel weird or wrong. It doesn't. It really just feels like Millie. Then they stop kissing because Millie says, maybe we should try this again when my hand isn't as big as your face. And Booker's like, oh, all right, fair, and puts his arm around her. We switch back to the police station where Nyla has gotten the Lodola out. And Charlene comes back in and just points her gun at her. Realizes she has the Lodola. Well, doesn't even realize that she has the Lodola. She doesn't know what she has, but her instant reaction is to just point a gun at her. It's very uncomfy, especially since Nyla is a black woman. I don't know if that's what they were going for. Like, in a time where people don't admit the fact that there is a disproportionate prejudice against African American Mm -hmm. people as opposed to white people in the way of how police treat them, I think it's appropriate. And even from, like, an unseemingly, like, good character like Char, like, Char, you see as a good person, so you wouldn't think she would do something like that, but it's... She's still a part of a system that is, that is corrupt. Nyla was forced to hand over the Lodola. She kicked it over to Char, and then Blissfield Butcher shows up. Grabs the knife, gets in a police car, and starts driving away and almost hits Josh. (laughs) Millie and Booker go into the police station to go check on Nyla and find Char still pointing a gun at Nyla, if I remember correctly. And so Millie picks Char up and shoves her in a cell. And um, before Millie leaves, she mentioned something about how she didn't know that Char's hamster couldn't swim and is like, sorry, like, bye, I don't have time to explain that. That was Millie's little hint that she is Millie in the butcher's body. And then they leave. And the Blissfield Butcher is on his way to the homecoming in the old mill because that is where all the teenagers are. They go to the old mill where the homecoming dance 
has now been resumed by all of the teenagers because so they're stupid. so dumb. The guy that grabbed the butcher's ass... Don't remember his name. Doesn't no. matter. No. <laughs> he doesn't matter. Starts trying to flirt again with the butcher. Takes him back to this... Where no one is. This room where no one is but, like, maybe three or four other football players. And it's a very uncomfy scene because it's a small woman with a bunch of big, strong men. So you're like, oh, I think I know what's going to go down here. And they start threatening to assault her. Yeah, they say, oh, you have, like, three holes, like, one for each of us. And I'm like, oh my god, men are fucking disgusting. <laughs> the butcher decides to murder them, aptly so. Just, again, in the most grotesque ways. I think... Something interesting about this movie is all the murders besides the first four that happen, I'm like, you know what? Fair enough, the teacher. And then these boys, I'm like, fair enough. Honestly, I, none of the deaths committed by the butcher in Millie's body, I feel bad about. Yeah. I just don't. I, I don't think you really meant to. The butcher murders these three guys, all in grotesque ways, one including a chainsaw to the dick. The final guy, the one who took him back to the room. Nyla, Josh, Millie, and Booker follow the butcher to the mill, and they realize that the night is almost over, which means that the spell cast by the Lodola won't be able to be reversed anymore. And so Booker gifts Millie his watch so that Millie can keep track of how much time she has left. Yes. And so they head into the party, and they split up to go look for the butcher. And Josh asks this random guy if he knows where the butcher is, and he says that he does. So Josh follows him into this back room, and the guy goes to kiss him. Of course, this is a callback to at the beginning of the movie when Josh talks about all of these guys who will drink too much and realize they're maybe not as straight as they thought. Joshua pushes this guy off because obviously he's not into it. The guy calls him the F word and Joshua is like, wow, you're really like so self-aware, aren't you? The butcher promptly comes in and kills this guy with a hook through the eyeball. Another death that we really don't feel bad about. And then the butcher starts going for Josh. Nyla, Millie, and Booker all realize at this point they don't know where Josh is. So they start to look for him, but notice the police are coming. Mm -hmm. They have showed up at the mill to find the butcher, who is of course still Millie. So Booker volunteers to play interference with the police. Millie and Nyla run off to go find Josh, have to help him fight off the butcher. Nyla, Josh, and Millie are all fighting the butcher. The police start coming and shoot up into the air for some reason to disperse the kids, I guess. That's traumatizing. I don't know what training they had that said, you know what's a good idea? Let's shoot. Because Char does it as well. I just... They're bad police. I don't... <laughs> and the butcher starts running away. Joshua, Nyla, and Millie all start following him. Millie goes to stab the butcher with the Lodola, but the watch goes off, which means that it's midnight and the spell can no longer be reversed. But then you remember Booker said at the beginning of the movie about setting your watch early so you wouldn't be late. And so it turns out that it's five minutes before midnight. And so they're able to reverse the spell. 
the butcher in Vince Vaughn's body once again gets shot by the police. And so then afterwards, obviously, there's police and ambulance everywhere. Booker and now Millie back in her original body. They kiss because now her hand is no longer the size of his face. So then they kiss. And it's a all little cutesy moment. They were pretty cute. So things are presumably now back to normal. You see that the butcher is in critical condi condition in an ambulance. The paramedics aren't feeling too bad about it. Because one of the paramedics makes like a comment that, good, this is for the better. Yeah, like, did you see what he did? Did, did you see him take it off? You don't see him take it off. The heart monitor stops. It yeah. flatlines. And we see that he had taken off his heart rate monitor. Alright, so we assume that he murders the driver and the two people in the ambulance and goes off to go back and do murderous things. We go back to Millie where she is cuddling with her mom. They're all having a very sweet family moment where Millie's mom tells her that she should go to college and she needs to live her own life and yada yada yada. Millie then goes downstairs mm -hmm. to go to bed and notices the door is open, presumably by Charlene, but it turns out it was actually the butcher who has returned to exact revenge, I suppose. Getting the last word, I guess. And starts taunting Millie about all of her shortcomings. Because he has spent like a day in her body, so now he understands what it's like to live like a weak little girl. This huge fight ensues. Charlene shows up, Millie's mom shows up, and they all are just trying to take on this giant six, five foot murderous man. Something I liked about this scene is um, one of the attacks that happens is that Millie's mom bashes Vince Vaughn over the head with a wine bottle, which is interesting because the alcoholism is sort of what tore them apart, but it is kind of what is helping them in the moment. It was an interesting decision. It also has very similar vibes to the 2018 Halloween movie where the three women are also taking on this right. huge guy, which is, you know, just another nice little Easter egg. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but... It sure is there. <laughs> and they're all fighting. Millie gets the leg of a broken chair and stabs it through the butcher and kicks it in and kicks it straight and, through him. But yeah, he, he dies. He's, he's for sure dead this time. For certain. It, it, it is through his chest. And the movie ends. Woo! Um, so that is freaky. So what are your thoughts having watched this again? For the third time. For the third time. What are your thoughts about this movie? Alright, I have carried this thought throughout all three of my watches, and I really think that the movie should have ended with Vince Vaughn, the Blissfield Butcher, dying, not really dying, in the ambulance. Like, seeing the heart monitor, seeing that go flat, and seeing that he actually has... He doesn't have the pieces attached to him, so you know that he's planning something. I think that would have been the perfect place to end and set up for a sequel, possibly. I think that would have been a good place to end. 
So you would have preferred a cliffhanger. I would have preferred a cliffhanger. It just feels more like the vibes. If they wanted to imitate Friday the 13th and Halloween especially, I feel like that would have been appropriate. I can see where you're coming from. I definitely understand. However, I think it was the right decision for this movie because while it does play homage to so many different horror movies, it still needs to make it itself. Yeah, I suppose, but I do. I remember watching the movie, and when he's in the ambulance, that feels like the end. Because, you know, the main, the main couple kisses, and everything seems okay, and then you have that scene, and it felt, it just felt right. It felt like the end. I, again, would argue, though, because Millie is able to, in the end, kill the butcher, it proves her strength. I suppose. The power switches. Because while the butcher is the larger, more intimidating man, she is still able to kill him in her, you know, five, seven, however... We gave her an inch. <laughs> anyway, okay, I can see where you're coming from, but I'm just a sucker for those, like, cliche, like, kind of almost annoying little cliffhangers, like, oh, really, like, when will he die, sort of ending, like Michael Myers. I, yeah, I agree, but I do believe it is still open enough for a sequel because the Lodola is still in play. They even mention it at the end of the movie where the police are carting it off to put it in evidence again because mm -hmm. it's once again been used to stab someone. So there is still a chance that there could be a sequel. And with the writer having worked on Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2, an even bigger chance. Yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from. I just, I guess I'm very stuck in my opinion. No, it's okay. I, I'm interested in what you have to say. Wow. You're interested in what I have to say? Yeah, sometimes. That is like my biggest thought on it. I, I still, again, I'm going to say it as many times as I need to. Vince Vaughn is the star of this movie. He absolutely makes this movie. He is the reason I have watched it three times. He is super good in this. The entire cast, honestly, I love pretty much everyone in it. They all shine in their own ways mm -hmm. and... While Joshua and Nyla don't get as much screen time, I feel like they are still, they are very memorable characters kind of thing. And I do think we need more movies that take sort of the basic, like more heartfelt movies like Freaky Friday or like Home Alone. I guess Home Alone's not really heartfelt. The classics, I suppose, like very iconic movies and adding a little bit of horror to them. Because everything can be improved with a little bit of horror. We just had a lot of movies come out recently that have done that and have proven to be successful and very good and different than anything we've really seen before in the genre. I think you don't have to go so complex. Easy and simple basic ideas can really be spiced up if you know how to. I mean, you have movies like Ready or Not that's basically just hide-and-seek, but dangerous. Like, it's very a very simple concept, mm -hmm. but is one of my favorite movies that's come out in recent years, kind of thing. Like, this 
is a concept that's been done before, but it feels very fresh and new in the way they've done it. I think we're finally getting out of, like, the horror ditch where we've seen a lot of the same movies been made over and over and over again. We're finally getting out of that ditch, and we're seeing the light with all these really good recent releases like Babysitter, Happy Death Day, with Freaky and... Jordan Peele's movies and Ari Aster's movies. That's I feel like I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I agree. I think there was a point in time in the 2000s where there was just a lot of gory horror. And not that that's bad, but when it's the only thing that's coming out. It's okay. You can say Final Destination. <laughs> Final Destination, the Saw movies, uh, the Hostel movies, um... The, all, all those very torture porn. Yeah. There was a lot of those that came out, which are fine in their own right. But when, again, when they're the only things that are coming out, it's... I think it's because we finally had the ability to do those well. So now we're like, oh yeah, let's go ham. And now it's, and now it's boring. <laughs> but if you had to give this movie a rating, one pom-pom being very bad and... 10 pom-poms being very good. Where would you put this movie? This one's hard. I feel like my opinion's changed on it since I've last watched it because when I first watched it, I'm like, I was disappointed, as I said before, because I had, the trailer was immaculate, so my expectations were through the roof, and I just let myself get disappointed. But re-watching it two more times, I do enjoy a lot more. I'll say probably a seven pom-pom out of 10 pom-poms. Maybe I'm more lenient than you. You're looking at me like... Like, oh, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's a good movie. Like, I, I think my basis for this rating is how much do I enjoy it? And I, I enjoy this movie a lot. I love Vince Vaughn. He makes the movie. I love the body switch. I love seeing how they act in each other's bodies. I love seeing, like, different small things that they have to do to get used to being in their bodies. Like, their new appendages, <laughs> um, their new heights, and just different experiences that they're going through now. What, what, what would you rate it? Because you seem kind of shocked. I think you're going to go lower. Yeah, you're going to go lower. I agree. I had really high expectations for this movie coming into it, and I was a little let down. But I think it was more because I had an idea of what I wanted this movie yes. to be. And when that idea was not put into play, I was upset. But I realized that other people's ideas can be different and still be good. So the more I watched it, the more I love it. I actually am going to give it an 8.5. Eight and a half? I think when you watch movies like Freaky, um, you need to not take it so seriously. Just sit back and just try to enjoy it. It's a horror comedy. Let it be a horror comedy. Don't expect, like, it to be, like, this big-brained... Oh, this big-brained horror movie. I think this is another horror movie that is made for younger audiences. Yes. It's rated R, but even the writer said that he was aiming for a gory Disney movie kind of idea. <laughs> I think he executed that very well. I enjoy the fact that we are getting more of these movies that are aimed for the younger generation of horror fans. A gateway into horror. Because there is so few 
gateways into horror, it feels like. Because if you don't watch the quote-unquote classics, you know, Friday the 13th, or... Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Exorcist. Exactly. If you don't watch those, then you're not a true horror fan. But sometimes those can be boring. Sometimes they're cheesy, and some people don't want to watch those. Instead, let's give them something that they can connect with and they can enjoy. People need to accept that all, not all movies are made for them, is what I'm saying. Yes. And I think that this falls into that category. This is for teenagers and for young adults. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of All Podcasters Die. I'm Anastasia Scott. And I'm Hannah Wintz. And join us next week when we check in to a hellish found found footage footage film. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. All right, see you next week on All Podcasters Die. Bye.